Okay, I think we're there. Young man, did you hear that? That's why I let Todd come up here. He's... All right, we are in First Peter this morning. Uh, it was really uh, great uh, last week. Pastor David popped in. Uh, it's been a while since he's been here, and we got to hear from him, uh, which was nice. If you missed it, you can find those sermons on our website, along with all the other sermons, or we have a YouTube channel, The Door at Central Oregon, I think is what it is. You can find them there. We're only live streaming here right now. We'd like to get that started in Lapine, too, but for now, it's just here until we get the manpower and all that. But in case you're new to the door, I just wanted to explain kind of our, our model. I was talking to a uh, guy and Philip this morning. Good to have you guys here with us. And, and just kind of explaining that we have a co-pastor model at the door, which is kind of weird. Um, we, we share the load equally. We don't have a, a head pastor apart from Jesus himself, who's, you know, everybody knows he's the head pastor of every church, but we don't have like that lead pastor model that other churches have. And you might be going, well, that doesn't make sense because you're the one that's always here right now. And so that's why I'm explaining it because normally I am the one that's here and David and Chad have been in Lapine for quite a while. And that's because we started a church plant in Lapine basically a year ago. Uh, I think it was October, November is when we started that. We merged with another church down there and formed a new church called The Door at Lapine with Chad, who's, who was down there. And we really wanted to see that church get established. And, of course, what happened is we got it started. Things were going great. And then this, this thing called COVID hit, and it kind of just stopped the momentum. So when we had the opportunity to start meeting again, we really wanted to make that foundation as strong as we could. So we sent you know, two of our best guys down there to make that happen. And so that's kind of the story. So we haven't given up on the co-pastor model. The plan is still to have them come back here and share. So you'll, you'll frequently you'll see Chad and David pop back into the mix, but just wanted to kind of l- let you know that in case you were wondering. So there you have it. A couple of weeks ago, we started first Peter and we're going to be Back in there this morning, uh, last time we looked at the first two verses of chapter one, where we learned that Peter is writing to both Jews and Gentiles who have been kind of scattered throughout churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Full blown persecution had not started yet, but things are starting to get difficult for these Christians. And I I think Peter kind of seeing the writing on the wall wrote to them to both encourage them and to prepare them. And he points out that as Christians, we are exiles, which means that we don't really fit in and we don't really have a home here, which could be a little discomforting to hear. Um, I think most of us realize it's true, but it doesn't, it doesn't like sit well with us. And, and we, we constantly try to put roots down because that feels right to us, I think. The reality is that we're just passing through on our way to a better place, to our eternal home. And and the purpose of us being here right now is to bring as many people as we can along with us to that place. But as I mentioned last time, I really don't like the idea of being an exile. That just sounds, you know, I mean, like homeless. Uh, I I don't like that. That doesn't sound comfortable and nice. I like comfortable and nice. And that sounds uncomfortable. Being a stranger in a strange land sounds scary to me. But when I look around and really am honest, I know that that's the truth. You know, the thought of like being dropped off in a foreign country uh, where I don't know the language or the customs or, or, or anything that's going on, that just would create a lot of anxiety for me. It would make a great television show. I mean, you guys would be fully entertained watching me just go into panic mode. Uh, but it sounds horrible to me. But the truth is, as Christians, we're starting to feel more and more like strangers in a strange land. And for most of us, that that feels a little frightening, uncomfortable. For me, it, it creates, when I dwell on it, it creates this kind of awkward and uncertain 
place to exist. And then 2020 has not helped even a little with that feeling, right? If, if you just think about all the things we've been given to worry about this year, it's, you know, it's a wonder I'm, I'm, you know, standing upright at times, I think. You know, will I get the virus? If I do, will I get sick? Will I die? Will I have a job? Will I have money? What's going to happen there? What's going to happen to, you know, is our country going to implode? Is our economy going to implode? Uh, We've had fires. We've had racial tensions. We've had a crumbling economy. We've had protests and riots, more fires, because there was like the the Australian fires, and then there were the, the fires here. So, you know, fires everywhere, political unrest, and then stinking murder hornets. <laughs> it's like, I, I see these and I'm like, are you kidding me with these? Why? I mean, just call them something else, please. That's, that's the last thing I need to think about, that there's actually something called a murder hornet. And then you see them, they're like two inches long. It's a lot of stuff to worry about. You can begin to question and you begin to lose hope. How many of you right now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you right now are worried about your future? We are a people that are prone to fear. It's not a coincidence that the Bible uses the phrase fear not or something like that repeatedly over and over again. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear and anxiety is crippling. It's paralyzing. And our enemy knows this, and he's more than happy to to use it against us, to just take our legs out from under us, to cripple us, to make us ineffective, to turn our eyes away from God, to turn our eyes away from other people, and to turn our eyes to ourselves. And if I'm not careful, I will live there comfortably, but it's not a good place for me to be. Now, if you've been caught up in all of this, our passage today is going to help. Peter's writing to a group of Christians who needed to be reminded that no matter what comes their way, they have every reason for hope. They desperately needed to be reminded of that then, and we desperately need to be reminded of it today. So 1 Peter, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter starts out this section by just erupting in praise toward God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for blessed is where we get our word eulogy or eulogize. That's what you do at a funeral when you remember somebody uh, and honor them and, you know, and kind of Speak well of them. And that's what Peter's telling us to do. God's people should speak well of God, honor his name every chance we get. And we don't have to wonder why Peter felt this way. Because did Peter know a thing or two about the mercy and the grace of God in his own life? Absolutely he did. Peter was a wreck a lot. Peter, you know, Peter's one of those guys in the Bible that I like to read about. I don't like to read about the guys like, you know, there's certain guys that I read and I'm like, well, I'm nothing like him. But when I read about Peter, I'm like, that's a guy I can get, you know, I can relate to this guy. Peter understood grace. He understood God's mercy. This isn't just theoretical. He's been a recipient of these blessings and he knows how important it is for Christians to know these truths and to hold fast to them. And we're going to look at three things that God has accomplished for us and given us by his mercy. The first one is this, that he has caused us to be born again 
I don't know, like in the 80s when I became a Christian, the phrase born again was, was like a bad phrase. The people, you know, oh, born again Christian. It kind of had a negative connotation. I don't know if it still does. Now it's like there's other, there's other words out there that, you know, probably fit that. But, but it is, when you think about it, it's like, why do we need to be born again? It kind of implies that there's a deficiency in us that needs to be corrected. It's kind of like a, like a birth defect. That's kind of offensive to most people. It's like, well, you need to be born again. You know, if you were to say that to me, it's like, well, thanks. But for the person who understands the predicament that they're truly in before God, this is music to your ears. I remember being in this exact spot at age 19. I had uh, lived my life up to that point, ignoring God, living contrary to God, and offending God. I learned later that the Bible said that this is because I was a sinner by nature and by choice. All I knew is that I really liked sin and I I was all about it. But then one, one day I realized that my sin had separated me from a holy God and I knew that there was nothing I could do to fix that. I was in a, you know, a spot. I was stuck in this spot where I knew that I was going to be separated from him forever and I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. That's, that's bad news. And then someone told me about Jesus, a Savior who not only could fix that, but, but was willing to fix that for me. He, he would bridge that gap. And I'm like, wait, you're telling me that, that God will give me a way out of this? He'll give me a second chance, a new lease on life? Sign me up. I want to be born again. It was music to my ears. And so I prayed that God would forgive me for my sin on the basis of what Jesus had done on my behalf at the cross. And I was born again. It's like nothing I can even, you know, if you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. It's like somebody put paddles on my chest and said clear and woke me up for the first time and everything changed. That was 1986. And it still feels like the same good news now that it did then. Some of you weren't even born yet in 1986, which, but he called me a young man and I'm going to hold to that. So this is what second Corinthians five seventeen says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This would have had the same special significance to Peter. He needed a new lease on life as well. To become a new creation with a second chance is, is, is a wonderful opportunity. This new birth not only changes our future, it changes our lives right now. It means that I have a new identity, a new family, and a new hope. So if you were in Christ, no matter what your life was like before, you now have this, this amazing future, this amazing uh, reality Whatever your identity was before, whatever defined you before, it has changed. I am no longer that guy. I'm now who Christ has made me. That's become my primary identity. I love how the Bible says that my life is hidden in him. I like that. That just sounds safe. You know, when God sees, he doesn't see Brent now and and all that. He sees the righteousness of Christ. I'm covered in it. I'm shielded by it. Now, it's become my primary identity, but I still have remnants of, you know, the old identity. I think about things like my heritage, my upbringing, my family, my nation, 
my country, so to speak. These are no longer, though, the things that define me the most, but they're still things that, that you know, are, are somewhat important to me. They're just not the primary thing. So like, for instance, I'm Basque. Uh, that's my nationality. Some of you have, has anybody ever heard of Basque people before? Hey, wow. Usually they say, what are you like half fish? And it's like, no, that's bass, Basque. Um, I love being Basque. It's, it's like, what a cool thing that, you know, that's my heritage. I love the food. I love the culture. It's important to me that I am, that I'm that, but you know, what's more precious to me? I'm a Christian. I, I don't, I, I want to be known for that over and above anything else. I belong to Christ and he belongs to me. I am a Christian. That surpasses everything. You know, I understand sometimes why the world has an identity problem or an identity crisis, but I don't understand why the church does or why Christians do. Don't let those other things define you. You know, are they part of who you are? Sure. But, but first and foremost, our identity now is Christian. And that's a very freeing and wonderful thing. No matter what your tribe, tongue, or nation, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ if we've believed. We are family, right? And if you've got a song stuck in your head, I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, get up everybody and dance. No, it's like, not really. We're not that kind of church. So according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Just let that just bounce around your head for a minute. A living hope. You know, I think when we hear the word hope, we equate it with wishful thinking. You know, I hope my team wins. I hope the weather's good. You know, that kind of thing. That's not the kind of hope Peter's talking about. He's talking about a confident expectation. We might call it like a strong faith. But, but hope or faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. But if your hope is placed in something imperfect or fleeting, what good is that? And, and there's a lot of those things. A lot of people right now are hoping in things like government and money and relationships. Inevitably, you'll be let down because those things aren't perfect and they will. They're fleeting. They're, they'll go away. And that's why so many of the people in the world today have no reason for hope. They're hoping in things that are uncertain and prone to fail. But the Christian's hope is certain because it's a living hope in a living savior. Jesus proved that he is worthy of our hope because he backed up his claims in the most convincing way possible. He, he got back up from the grave. That's something you can put your hope behind. He died, was buried, and then rose again three days later. That's what makes our hope a sustaining and certain hope. It's, it, I think what, it's what caused the, the writer of the song to write, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life, I, I, if life is worth the living, life is worth living just because he lives. So because Jesus lives, our hope lives. It can adapt, right? It can stand up to anything. It's living. It, it, it moves with whatever comes its way, right? You can't, you, you can't get past it. This living hope creates within me, I would almost describe it as like an inner liberty, an inner freedom that I have that I can't really even explain, but it's there. And, and what it means is that I'm largely unaffected by the stuff that goes on around me. 
or I can be. It chooses, depends on what I choose to dwell on. But it, it makes my kids mad sometimes. I'm, they see this thing where they're like, Dad, why don't you get mad? Why don't you get upset right now? And it's like, I don't know. But I have this living hope that, that allows me just to kind of go, I don't know, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. I know that anything that happens right now that's, that's going to freak me out or make me worry is temporary. And that it's ultimately in line with what God is doing in the grand scheme of things. And I believe that to my core. So I don't have to spin out of control because of COVID. I don't have to spin out of control because of election results or because my 401k starts to, you know, become a 201k or because of murder hornets even, you know, it's like, is that all you got? Really? I have a living hope and it's based on Jesus Christ. And that trumps anything you can throw at me. Our hope is based on the promises of Jesus and what he's already done and what he's promising to do. He's coming back. He's going to conquer all evil. I have a confident expectation that he's going to come for me, that I will be resurrected like he was, and that I will enter into his kingdom. And this is my blessed hope. If I didn't believe that right now, I would literally curl up in the fetal position and just, I don't know, suck my thumb, I guess is what I would do. But it doesn't end there. But wait, there's more. The text goes on to say, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. I hear that and I think, are you kidding me? You let me in. You caused me to be born again. You're going to give me a home in heaven. And now you've given me an inheritance. I don't deserve that. This is crazy. I would call it an inconceivable inheritance. You're welcome. I didn't say it that way, but inconceivable, right? God has adopted us into his family. He's made us his sons and daughters. Think about that. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. According to Ephesians 1.13, when you believe in Jesus and are born again, you are marked by God with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. I really like the idea of a guaranteed inheritance because that means I can't mess it up and you can't mess it up, right? Nobody can touch this thing. And I, I don't know how your life's gone, but twice now I have been guaranteed an inheritance from, from relatives that passed twice now that never came to me. Ultimately that their wishes were clear. They wrote it on something, but, but a loophole of some kind happened and other family members were able to come and take it. And it was pretty substantial amount of money both times. I mean, so much so that in my mind I'd started spending it, right? I, I, there was a truck in my driveway in my mind that never ended up in my driveway, right? That stinks. It, it was, you know, frustrating. It would have changed a lot. And I'm mostly not bitter about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Trust the Lord. Still want the truck. It's my desire of my heart. Just, no, I'm just <laughs> You know, I think everybody's had something like this. Something you were counting on that fell through. And we've all known what that's like. It can be disappointing. It can be defeating. 
And it's why we have like phrases like don't count your chickens before they've hatched because this is a reality of things. You think it's going to happen and then it's just gone, vanishes into thin air, right? Like it wasn't even there. God wants us to know that we can count on this inheritance. Look at the words he uses to describe it. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That sounds good. That sounds secure. And God's the one protecting it. It won't spoil or rot. It can't be stolen or tampered with. It can't vanish into thin air. It can't even depreciate in value before you get to it. I mean, that's not cool. Like somebody could give you something like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you my, my home or something like that. And by the time you get there, it's like dilapidated or dilapidated. I think I said that wrong. I need a fact checker. That's what our vicar does for us. He gets on his phone almost immediately and checks everything we say. It's like, this guy is something. He'll listen to it. I love you, Jordan. It's good to have fact checkers, honestly. Keeps us honest. This is an inheritance that cannot fail, that God himself has reserved for us. You know, in the, in the movies, like when families get together, there's, you know, somebody in the family's died, and so they, they gather together, like maybe the dad passed away, and the attorney comes and sits down and says, all right, you know, uh, we're going to read the will, and, and just kind of imagine yourself in that room right now. To my son, to my daughter, I give eternal life. It's part of your inheritance. That's no, that's no small thing. A new home. A new body, that's a good one. <laughs> one that won't like degrade in any way at all, won't fail, no pain. You're going to get a huge, loving, non-dysfunctional family. <laughs> it's like, that'll be, that'll be weird, huh? <laughs> you get things like harmony, complete harmony. Think about that right now. What would you pay for complete harmony? What's that worth right now? Wow. Peace, love, joy, acceptance. Complete acceptance. Provision. You know what? You'll never have to worry about anything like that again as far as being provided for. You will be provided for eternally. You will be protected. Like there's not going to be like some kind of weird home security system there, right? There's no need for it. Protected. Your inheritance includes an end to death, an end to sin, an end to suffering, disease, injustice, evil. And I love this one. The fullness of our salvation will be finally realized there. That means we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But the best thing about our inheritance is we get God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in, in, in this wonderful triune relationship for all of eternity. And they could have been perfectly happy staying that way. And they let us in to that circle. I get to see Jesus face to face. That's an inheritance. That's, I mean, what is that worth? This precious inheritance, Peter purposefully ties to our living hope. He wants us to understand that the reason we have a living hope is is partly because of our inheritance. Because knowing the value and the certainty of what awaits us, it will help us to persevere until the end. 
Do you, do you see that? If we, if we think about this inheritance, if we think about what's coming, it, it helps us keep on keeping on. Tim Keller uses a helpful illustration. He says, imagine there are two guys that both get hired for the same difficult job. They both have the same duties. They both work the same long hours. But one guy gets paid $30,000 a year, and one guy gets paid $30 million a year. Now, the one who's making 30000 is kind of have a hard time staying with that job, right? It's, it's just, it's a hard job. It's not, you know, this other guy's getting paid way more. It's just simply not worth it. But guess what the guy who's making 30 million a year is thinking about that job? Best job ever, right? Can't wait to go to work and punch in and like, well, I'll work extra. I'll do whatever you want. He's going to be able to keep on keeping on because the compensation is so great. This is the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen. No ear has heard and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And Paul would also go on to say in first Corinthians or second Corinthians four seventeen. And again, just think about Paul's life for a minute, right? Think about all that he went through. And he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I think if Paul could say that, what, what do I got? I got nothing compared to what Paul went through. And Paul said, these are just light and momentary compared to the inheritance. That fills me with hope. If you are in Christ, you will receive this inheritance. You will receive it. Verse five tells us that this inheritance is being kept for you. And then it goes on to say, that it's being kept for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is he keeping the inheritance for you, but he's keeping you for the inheritance. That's, that's also important, right? It's waiting there for us, but he's going to make sure we get there as well. And, and like, you know, a kid in the back of their mom and dad's car, I'm thinking, are we there yet? <laughs> you know, Cause that sounds great. No, we're not. But I love that it says our salvation is ready, right? Salvation's ready. Like we're not there yet, but it's ready right now. And it's going to be revealed at some point. We are a hundred percent secure. If we have trusted Jesus as our Lord and savior, our inheritance is secure and we are secure. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, there is no better day than now to place all your faith and all your trust in him as Lord. Now, once we understand the security, it doesn't mean we bury our head in the sand or like sit down in the ashes to wait for the Lord. It means that we can live right now with confidence and with purpose. We can live without fear and anxiety as we do the gospel work that God has called us to do. We can trust God for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. I just want to remind you, Christian, that people are watching us right now. The world is, is, is peeking into the church to see how we're going to respond to everything that's going on right now. What are they going to see? Well, they see a living hope? Will they see people that have a living hope that points them to God? As Christians, we can focus on all the glorious things that God has done for us and will do for us, and we we can be filled with praise. That's where we need to be. 2020 has given us a lot of different things that we can focus on. We get to decide what we're going to focus on. I think of like Peter... Remember when he was on the boat and he decided to jump out and like walk to Jesus? 
How did it go when he was looking at Jesus? Pretty good. Yeah. What happened when he stopped? What happened when he started looking at what was going on around him? Oh, there's wind here. Oh, there's waves here. I don't like this wind. I don't like these waves. Where did he start to do? Sink. I see too many Christians right now sinking. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, thank you so much that you've given us these promises. So many things that you've done for us. You've caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ into an inheritance that cannot fail. Lord, we are the most fortunate people on the planet. And we have this message uh, that, that we can take to other people so that they can have the same hope that we have. And we pray, Father, that you would give us opportunity. We pray that you would fill the seats of both of these churches that we are part of with people who are desperate to find out about Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And Lord, that you would help us right now to just look up. Lord, there's so much we can look at right now. Help us to look up. Help us to look full into your wonderful face and to, to dwell on what you've done for us and what awaits us so that we can get through this time in, in a way that is just full of praise. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.